listen to them. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Kill you all. We don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Free for your life. Into <laughs> a new world of parts and monsters. Hi, Monster fans. I'm Robert, and with me as always is Inthia. Hello. And welcome to Pods and Monsters. Tonight, we are back in our line of universal horror movies, and we are visiting The Mummy again. This is the third Mummy movie produced by Universal, and tonight we will be discussing The Mummy's Tomb. Spawned from the depths of doom comes the most fearful monster of the ages, to strike with paralyzing terror the despoilers of ancient tombs. Here is new horror by the master of menace, Lon Chaney as the mummy, with Dick Foran, John Hubbard, Ellis Knox, George Zuko, Wallace Ford, Turon Bay, in the mummy's tomb. All right, The Mummy's Tomb. This is from 1942, Universal Pictures. Inthea, did you know anything about this particular mummy picture? No. (laughs) You didn't. Well, you did know that it has a short runtime. Yeah, I was so excited about that. (laughs) Yeah, the runtime is actually 61 minutes. I was promised 59 minutes. I thought it was 59, but I got mixed up. It was a minute after the hour, not before. So we had previously done episodes on The Mummy and The Mummy's Hand. Now we are at The Mummy's Tomb. Mm -hmm. Inthea? Yes, sir. Take us back. 1942's The Mummy Tomb. (laughs) The The Mummy Tomb! (laughs) (laughs) The Mummy's Tomb. Is this the last Mummy movie? No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How much more? Not even close. How much more? Are you kidding me? There's two more and then Abbott and Costello meet The Mummy. Oh. How much more good cars do? You don't like the do? movie. I mean, it's the same thing over... I mean, I guess they're all the same thing over and over again. Well, I love the mummy. Okay. okay. So here we go. So our movie starts with our credits, and we find out that Lon Chaney is playing the mummy. Yes, this is the first time Lon Chaney has taken the wrappings, and he is replacing Tom Tyler, who played the mummy in The Mummy's Hand. Lon Chaney is fresh off of the Wolfman and Ghost of Frankenstein, and they wanted to make him a big monster star, so it's natural that he only took the role of the mummy. What I really like about this opening is that the music is the same theme as the Wolfman. Okay, I put down, have we heard this music before? Yeah, it was ba ba ba. And the title cards and the credits are over a empty set from the mummy's hand. A book opens and in it is a little page on Stephen Banning, who is our hero from the previous movie yeah from the mummy's hand and we zoom in on the photo and it turns into a moving picture and he is talking with his son john as well as john's love interest isabel yep and his sister walks in yeah i really like the opening with a book i love movies that open with books Mm -hmm. again this is like the wolfman the wolfman also opened with a book Mm. He's talking about his search for Ananka's tomb and his sister interrupts him and tells him that no one cares about these stories because they've all heard them before. But it turns out that his son and his son's lady friend do want to hear mostly his lady friend. His son has heard this story his entire life. 
Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, I just wanted to mention the good old age makeup that they put on Dick Ferran, who plays Steve Banning. What did you think about that makeup? It was okay. It was good. Yeah, I thought he was a viable old person. Yeah, yeah. So while he's telling us this story, we get, of course, okay, so this movie is only like 61 minutes long. 22 minutes of this movie are f- <laughs> is footage from the previous movie. Was it really 22 minutes? It's about 20 minutes. Okay. Which is great. That's fine. Um, That's why I love this movie so much, because you get all the great scenes from The Mummy's Hand, plus all this new stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, really, you don't have to watch The Mummy's Hand. You could just watch this and get caught up. Yeah. Knock out two movies in one. Um, so we get all this footage of the uncovering of the tomb, and... We find out that Banning has brought back Ananka's body and he really regrets not bringing back the monster. We also find out that Marta is dead. She has passed. Why, it's like hearing from a world beyond. Well, that's the way it happened. And if Marta were alive today, she'd tell you the same thing. Nobody that ever went through an experience like that could ever forget it. She has passed on. Marta was the love interest from The Mummy's Hand. She was the daughter of Silvani, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And I like when they talk about that she passed, that they show a photograph of her on the table. And they aged it a little bit to make Mm -hmm. her older. Yeah. I would assume that that would be John's mother. Yeah. Okay. It's just funny that they never really refer to her as his mother. They're just like, Marta. Yeah. She got. He is happy that they destroyed the mummy. Um, so he does bring that up. And we, so yeah, we get to see everything. We see Andoheb, the priest, mm-hmm. shot by Babe, takes a tumble and grows some hair down, yeah. the, down the temple. Yeah. If you didn't listen to our mummy's hand episode, the high priest in that movie gets shot. And when he falls down all these stairs, the stunt double all of a sudden has hair, where Andoheb, played by George Zuko, is basically bald. Yeah. So now we are with an old priest and we find out that this old priest is Andoheb. He is now a lot, lot older. Yeah, frail. And he has a lot more hair. Yes. (laughs) He says that he was only injured and it hurt his arm more than anything. And that the mummy has survived. Karis still lives. He is teaching a younger priest how to take care of Karis. And... He presses the amulet into the young man's hand and makes him swear to destroy every member of the Banning family because they've desecrated the tomb. They want to uphold the curse. Yes. So Andoheb is a lot older now, old age makeup on George Zuko. And I actually think this is a pretty good makeup as well. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was the same guy. Yeah, it's the same guy. We find out that the events of the mummy's hand took place 30 years ago. So we're 30 years of the future, which means we are in the year 1970 during this movie. (laughs) And not very (laughs) 70-ish at all. Before he dies, he prays for the young man that he'll be able to pretty much uphold this duty. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing is these are the two scenes that Andoheb is in. And in the first scene, he has this voice where he's very shaky like this. 30 years ago, an infidel sought to destroy me. And then it cuts to them in another room and then he has his normal voice. Now I leave in your hands. The curse of Amin-Ra and the destiny of Karis. I always wonder about that. Why the change in the voice? What happened? Uh-huh. Did you find out? No. Okay. <laughs> and then they almost make it appear that he dies. Yeah, that's what I thought. But he'll be back in the next movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, spoiler. Yeah, that is a spoiler, I guess. But uh, The movie's almost like 100 years old. <laughs> I know. It's like 80 years old. But I mean, we thought he died in the mummy's hand. We think he dies in the mummy's tomb. Let's see what happens in the next one. He does what the other old man did in the mummy's hand, where he's like, I give you this amulet, says a little prayer, and then goes and like expires. Yeah, I guess he just took a nap. Oh, okay. Well, now we're on a ship crossing the ocean. And on this ship, we have Karis and the young priest. We are on our way, Karis. He is praying over the um, sarcophagus. The sarcophagus, and he pretty much tells like the staff that he needs to be left alone. So he has this little area. He ends up feeding Karis the tana leaves, and Karis weakly responds to the three tana leaves that he is given. 
Yeah, see so his lips our, move. We got our mummy juice back. Yep. We come to find out that they are going to the Mapleton Cemetery. And the priest arrives there to be the new caretaker. All of this has been set up by Andoheb for him. Yeah, they are taking their boat to New England. They don't say exactly which state it's in. It's somewhat near New York. I always thought it was Massachusetts. I thought so too, because I think they say it. Do they say it? I think it's in one of the newspapers, maybe? Maybe. So perhaps Massachusetts. And they are here, again, to uphold the curse and destroy the people that desecrated Ananka's tomb years ago in their bloodline. We see a dog howling into the night and the or a wolf. I'm, it is a weird looking dingo wolf type thing. I think it might be the same animals that they used in the mummy's hand to be jackals. Mm, that makes sense. I just don't see why they would be in New England. The priest is walking around all shifty and he goes into a mausoleum where we see that he has the sarcophagus in there and he's brewing the tana leaves. We are reminded of what it takes to control the mummy, which is three to keep him alive and nine to give him movement. Three tana leaves to keep him alive. Nine to give him movement. Yeah, and they really play up the fact in this one that the mummy can only move around and do his work during the full of the moon. Yes, they're very specific about that. The moon rides high in the sky again, Karis. There is death in the night air. Your work begins. Much like uh, the wolfman. Yep. He summons Karis and tells him that his work begins tonight. The mummy leaves the cemetery and passes by a couple who are making out in a car. I like the way that this is how his presence is being sensed by people. And it's almost like a mini montage that then repeats itself every time he goes out. In this one, it's the couple that's making out and then a couple who is in their bedroom and the wife sees it and the husband is like what did you see and she's like it's just a shadow even though he like doesn't believe her fully he still takes it into consideration by the end of their conversation and they call the sheriff yeah so we have some sightings of the mummy yeah and these are my favorite scenes of this movie i think because i find them to be very atmospheric i love the night shots where it's windy Mm -hmm. and you just see all the trees moving in the breeze and you know the mummies in the distance walking around and it's it's very effective i think yeah so the husband of the couple who the mummy has passed by their windows um his name is vic and he calls the sheriff to let him know that he's seen an ominous presence the sheriff doesn't want to hear anything about this and says that he's not getting out of bed for a shadow a shadow you wake me up for that Yeah, he's upset about it. And then after that, they hear a wolf howl. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, the wife, she is speaking, but there's no dialogue. I wonder what what she said. They cut something out. Now we're back with the Bannings and they are playing a very intense game of checkers or something. And uh, they note that it's 11 p.m. They decide that they're going to disband for the evening. It seems like such a nice night just to stay home with your family, listening to yarns and playing checkers up until the wee hours of the morning. It's 11 p.m. Wee hours in the morning. (laughs) Uh, So Stephen is going to go to bed and John agrees to take Isabel home. During this, the mummy is slowly approaching their property and the horses on the property sense something happening. And they also have a bunch of dogs and those dogs start barking. The son goes out to check on these dogs and Steve goes up to his room to get ready for bed. He opens the window to his room to just kind of, I don't know, peek out and see if his son figured out what's happening or just kind of look over his property. Mm -hmm. As he's gone in there, the mummy sees the light and I guess knows that that's where Steve is. So he climbs the trellis up to the second floor and goes in through Steve's window. This scene I love. Well, one, I want to make a note. How does the mummy know where Steve lives, first of all? Yeah. I guess maybe... He just knows. Maybe the priest gave him an address or something. But what I really like about this also is the music. You have this great stocking music that they play a couple of times throughout this movie that's just building and building and Mm -hmm. building while he's on the attack for his victim. (laughs) 
Tommy goes into Stephen's room and he strangles Stephen. Yeah, Stephen is winding a clock uh, before he goes to bed. And then he looks up and he sees the mummy come through the window and he says, Gaddish. Yeah, um, he does cry out, which alerts Isabel and um, his sister who are downstairs. John and the groundskeeper rush up and find Stephen, who was killed. So now Stephen is dead. He's dead. Karis goes back to the cemetery and... They, you call him Karis. Well, I'm just saying however it comes out naturally. Okay. And we are informed by the young priest that three remain before they can leave and go back to Egypt. One is gone, Karis. One who dared defy our ancient gods. Three remain. Only three. So I kind of did some real quick math in my head. And since earlier on we were told that they have to destroy the bloodline, I thought, how is this possible? Are they counting Isabel as part of this? Because I assume it would be Stephen, John, and his Stephen's sister. And then it didn't make sense that Isabel would be included. So we come to find out later on. And actually I asked you at that point, and you said there was someone we hadn't seen yet. Yeah, we'll, we'll beat that fourth person that the mummy is after. We might as well mention the name of the young priest. His name is... Mehmet. <laughs> <laughs> I put Meh. Mehemet. Yeah, that's it. Is it really Mehemet? Mehemet. Mehemet. <laughs> Mehemet Bay, played by Turin Bay. I like the last name Bay. Now we are in a lab and we see the sheriff, John, someone who I think they call the coroner, and this scientist person. And they are testing the clay dust dirt that they found on Stephen's body. Yeah, it was around his neck because he was strangled. Yes, it's confirmed that it is not local. And it kind of puts everyone on alert, but they still really aren't terribly bothered by this. Next, we're with the sheriff who's talking to the young couple as well as the older couple. And they all can confirm that they saw something. However, they only saw a shadow. So he tells them to just kind of stand by and he appreciates the information that they've given him, even though he's like, how am I supposed to catch a shadow? This is the first time I ever had a shadow for a suspect. John is now trying to figure out who would want to kill his father. And it turns out that he's been neglecting everything, including Isabel. So his aunt tells him that he needs to take some time away from this and go spend time with her. So they go out and have a picnic. As they're having a picnic, the young priest walking very casually in bushes, in bushes, (laughs) happens upon them. And here we go. Yeah. He's now immediately obsessed with Isabel. Yeah, he's just focused in on her. And like in all these mummy movies, these young priests fall in love with the female lead. Yeah, pretty much. Next, we see him praying that he'll have the strength to not fall into temptation and do his duty. So already we know that this is going to be an issue and a plot point. Yeah. Oh, mighty gods of Egypt, may you keep up my strength to carry out the mission entrusted to me. Strength to resist any temptation which may be thrown across my path. We get a telegram from Babe, of all people. Babe, from and, the mummy's hand. Yep, and he is traveling to Mapleton. He will be arriving on the 11 p.m. train. So John goes off to meet him. We again see our wolf, dingo, jackal thing howling, and Karis is out again. We're also at the train station and John is picking up Babe. On his ride to the estate house, John fills Babe in on what's happening and mentions the grayish marks on Stephen's throat. A grayish mark. A grayish mark. It instantly alerts Babe. Grayish mark. A grayish mark. So now that we're with Babe, Babe's makeup, I like a lot more, and I like Babe in this movie. Yeah, Babe is really good in this movie. If you remember in The Mummy's Hand, he was the comic relief and very annoying in The Mummy's Hand. I didn't think he should have been there. He was useless, but he (laughs) is the best in this movie. Yeah, he's very good here and a very, very convincing old age makeup. Mm -hmm. Yes, And his mannerism, oh, I I think he's great. And, uh, And I love when he says, a grayish mark. 
Karis is at the Banning Estate and gr- the groundskeeper, his name is Jim, sees him as he's tending to the dogs. He fires at him a few times, but eventually just faints, I guess. Yeah, uh, this is uh, a very great scene as well. I like that he shoots his rifle at him. And it seems like compared to all the other monsters, the mummy is not phased by bullets at all. Mm-mm. We're like, the Frankenstein monster will feel it and react to it. It just goes right through the mummy and doesn't stop him at all. No. But yeah, the groundskeeper sees him and sees that the gun is having no effect on him and faints. And <laughs> what I love is that the mummy walks by. And remember, the mummy is injured and he's a mummy. So he only has the use of one arm. Sometimes his bad arm works, but most of the time (laughs) it's just wrapped up to his body and his left arm is out. And then he has one good leg, his right leg, and his left leg he drags behind him. And when this groundkeeper faints, he walks by him and his draggy leg hits him in the forehead. Oh, really? Yeah, I like that. I didn't notice that. Because later they talk about... Oh, yeah, he has some of the mummy Yeah, they say the gray mark is also on him, but he was never strangled by the mummy, but... You saw the foot hit him in the forehead. So maybe they saw some on the forehead. Maybe. So now uh, the sister who we find out is named Jane comes out to investigate and she gets strangled by Karis. Jane! Jane! And then it pushes in on a great close-up of of Karis, and you could see his bad eye is moving underneath the rubber or whatever the material is, because uh-huh. like Lon Chaney was blinking or something. But this is a scene where he uses his dead arm to strangle her. I don't oh. know why, but uh-huh. he did. Hmm. Karis goes back to the cemetery and he goes to his little tomb. I wanted to mention also, the what? cemetery set is really great. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a very neat really looking cemetery. Mausole- the mausoleum. Yeah, it's all good. That's good. Uh, so we find out that Jim is not dead and he is in shock. A severe paralysis that is induced by shock. Yeah, and he so. looks so scared. He does. So they're waiting for him to get out of this so that they can ask him questions. And now we have a few newspapers that we flip through and they talk about Jim as well as crime specialists now arriving to Mapleton and if witchcraft is at work at whatever is happening right now. Yeah, and I know how much you like a newspaper montage. I do. And this montage is is put together with music from Ghost of Frankenstein. Oh. We are now in a, I don't know, an inn, a restaurant, some place like of a gathering. Cafe with a bar in it. I guess. <laughs> and uh, there are all these reporters, and they're just waiting for the next bit of information to fall here. We're with Babe, who's talking to John about what happened, and they end up talking about Karis. John tries to excuse the clay dust that they found, and he just says it's a story that his dad said. So he's really flippant about it. Babe tells him that he needs to leave Mapleton because he's the next one in line. And he tells him that clay dust is from the mummy um he says that he's gonna go to the sheriff and he goes to the sheriff to talk about karis and tells him that this dust is actually i actually laughed a little bit mummy mold there was a gray mark on the throats of every single person killed in this town i know that and that mark wasn't mud and it wasn't clay it was mold and the sheriff doesn't really want this information getting out i think he doesn't really believe them and he just doesn't want to feed into this witchcraft theory that a lot of the reporters have babe says what if they did hear about it and and if they did they'd hear it from him so he and yeah he basically threatens saying that he's gonna go tell the reporters and what would happen if they know that i warned you and you did nothing about it yes what would they say if i was to tell them that a mummy three thousand years old was doing all the killing they laugh us out of office. But what will they say when they find out that I was right and that I tried to tip you off? Again, the sheriff does not care. Yeah. And so Babe goes to the cafe and talks to the reporters about it. He's overheard by the priest who is at the cafe. Yeah, he's sipping some tea or coffee. So the priest now knows that Babe is back in town and that he is telling everyone about the mummy. He takes off. Meanwhile, the sheriff is alerted to a shadow on high street and he and a bunch of other people 
including reporters, go to investigate. Because word gets around town that the mummy is walking around on Hyde Street, but everyone just says it's a shadow. So everyone goes. Yeah, everyone goes. And the only one left behind is Babe. Poor Babe. So Babe runs into Karis and tries to get away, but he also is strangled. Yeah, this is another scene I really like. The mummy is really scary here. There's some great shots of him. And what I like about it is lots of the time when people go up against the mummy, they're just kind of frozen in fear and the mummy is very slow and just comes up and strangles them. Here, Babe is trying to get away, but he's locked in an alley. He has nowhere to go. So Mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense as to how the mummy can catch up to him. And Lon Chaney looks very powerful here. Now we get more headlines and we are reading about Babe's death. Now we're back with Isabel and John. I will say John's papa just died. Yeah, he's not that upset. No, he's not. <laughs> she is not either. She's not the best. Yeah. You know, it might be out of all the universal heroines, this is maybe my least favorite because she really has nothing to do. She's very one-dimensional. Her mom, towards the end of the movie, has more development and range <laughs> in the 20 seconds she's on screen than this young gal does. Yeah. And it's just because his dad died. She doesn't help him mourn his death or any. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. She's not my favorite. But uh, they're walking around having a great old time. And uh, they find one of the wrappings. It's kind of like on a branch of a bush. John asks her to take him to the university so that he can have it investigated. There he has it confirmed that it is mold on a linen. That came from a mummy. Yes. That mold and this strip of linen both came from the body of a mummy. The professor that's helping him out tells him that there are chemicals on it that are used for mummification. Also, that there is a hieroglyphic similar to some of the markings found with Ananka. So yeah, and some of the mold or the dirt is from the regions of Africa. Yes. He says that they all have to really uh, come to terms with the fact that they are um, in the presence of the living dead. Whether you are ready to accept it or not, we are dealing with the presence of the living dead. And uh, John says here that Babe was correct. So we get another telegram for John that he's been accepted as the head of the medical corps and he needs to leave in three days. Yeah, he's going into the army. It's 1970, so I guess it's Vietnam. How would they know that in the 40s? I don't know. So so he gets to talking with Isabel and and she's kind of, I don't know, very one-dimensionally conveying that she would like that she just wishes him the best. And he's like, you're coming with me. We're getting married. But she doesn't, it's not even we're getting married. He just says something like, you're coming with me. And she basically says something like, you proposing to me and you're not even asking. Yes, we're getting married. Like, she just kind of says. I hate their relationship. I just stopped listening after a little bit. I'm like, I get the gist of what's happening here. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, they just sort of <laughs> become engaged without ever having to say it. Yeah. You just proposed and answered yes, all in one breath. The young priest, again, walking around, just overhears this conversation. And he goes back to the cemetery and he is obsessed. And we get like a bunch of uh, flashing images yeah, it's of so, her. It's so corny. He's just thinking about her. And there's these glamour shots of Isabel overlaid on top of his image yeah he's thinking of her and he summons Karis he sends Karis to go get Isabel instead of killing John and he has this whole con like this whole monologue where he tells Karis that he's doing this as a favor to Karis so that Karis always has someone to take care of him and this woman is going to birth him a son and that son's going to be the next high priest that takes care of Karis because Karis needs someone to give him the tannin leaves I am going to take on to myself a wife, Karis. Karis doesn't like this idea. He, no. He wants, he wants Mohammed Bey to be on track and do his duty. So when he says he's going to take a wife, 
the mummy actually has a reaction where he sort of stumbles back. He's like, what? Yeah, he just, you almost can hear him go, excuse me? This is not what we agreed. Yeah, and then when Bay sends him on his mission to bring Isabel back, he goes to strangle Mohammed Bay. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm going to go after you. But then he stops because ultimately the high priest or this priest is the one that controls him. is the one that controls him and he has to obey but he knows there's something wrong yep i do like that the priest is trying to convince them and it's like this is my sacrifice for you so i do like this turn that the mummy is really not here for anything that this man has to say isabel is home and she is trying on her wedding dress which is her mom's wedding dress and she's turning in for the night so karis takes off for a walk <laughs> and More great shots in, in the yes wind. we get the wolves we get Vic and his wife he walks to Isabel's house from here and goes into her bedroom and attacks her her mom hears her scream and as she's walking in she sees the mummy walking out of the window with a fainted Isabel this is another great sequence the great stocking music is back you see Isabel sleeping and then his shadow just appears and there's this great close-up of him leaning in towards the camera as he attacks her. Yeah, the shadow does switch places on the bed, though. Did it? Yeah, so he's coming in from the window. So here's the bed, and he's coming in, and then he's in the front from of the, the left. Yeah. yeah, and then the shadow comes in from the right when it's his hand. So his shadow comes in when it's his face from the left from where the window is, and then it comes in from... Mm. But I understand why they did it, because it does look really good that way. Yeah. The sheriff has now assembled a mob, <laughs> like, but they don't know yet that Isabel has been kidnapped. They're trying to be proactive. So they have a proactive mob. Well, that's what you do when you don't have a police force. <laughs> that's Dr. Lewis. I know. <laughs> um, and I like that they just want to give the whole town the backstory of what's happening. So they start laying it out for them. They're like, so there's a mummy. Then they get interrupted by a gentleman who says, hey, the new caretaker at, <laughs> at the cemetery was trying to sell me on some Egyptian burial stuff. Yeah, and okay. maybe he might know what's up. I hate this scene. <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> it's just, it feels so lazy. <laughs> There's a whole mob and this guy says, you know what? I'm getting up there in age. I went over there and I was talking about future plans for my burial. And there was a guy there that was saying quotes from the Egyptian Bible. He might know something about them. It's just too easy. Come on. It's so good, though. But I do love that he that at no point was this man like, I think that guy has the mummy. He just might know what's up. (laughs) I've been out to the graveyard, Sheriff, and I was talking to the caretaker about a final resting place for myself. Yes. And the caretaker spoke all about Egypt and quoted a lot of passages from his Egyptian Bible. As this man is letting him know this very important piece of information, Isabel's mom runs up and tells John about Isabel being kidnapped. The monster took her away. Isabel. (laughs) Karis returns to the cemetery and the mob is now... So at one point, I believe uh, the sheriff is like, "Okay, let's go get everyone torches. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to so you can match all that footage from Frankenstein. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah, because when we see the mob uh, with their torches, they used footage from Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. The mob has their torches and they set off towards the cemetery. You know, just a couple hundred people asking this one man a question. (laughs) Yeah. The priest has Isabel now strapped down to a table and she wakes up a little bit alarmed. He tells her his entire plan and that she'll be his bride and he'll make them both immortal and they'll have a son who will become a priest. You will become the bride of a high priest of Karnak. No. She says no, that she's marrying John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The priest lets her know that John has to die and she looks over and sees the mummy and faints again. As the priest is about to feed her the tana leaves, the mob arrives at his little door, which is right across his little 
headquarters is right across from the mausoleum where he set up his little operation. Yeah. He sends Karis to hide her in the woods as he prepares to go get rid of the mob. John and the priest end up talking and the priest plays dumb a little bit and someone runs up saying that they saw the mummy walking through the woods with Isabel. The priest all of a sudden pivots on this, brings out his little pistol and goes to shoot John. However, once the shot has rung out, the priest collapses and we find out that the sheriff was able to shoot the priest. Presumably the priest is dead. For those who defile the temples of ancient Egypt, a violent death shall be their fate. I like how this plays out. The priest, Bay, has his gun and like they do in so many movies, you hear the shot ring out thinking he shot John, but it was the sheriff. And what I really like is after Bay collapses, you get this great shot of the sheriff and he just sort of winks at John like, yeah, I I, I gotcha. (laughs) The mom takes off towards the woods and the mummy. He's walking to the banning house. Yeah, and there's some really great shots here. The whole movie is shot so good. And there's this really great shot of the mummy carrying Isabel over a stream, walking across a log. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah, we get some good wood shot. There's like a, a bridge that he goes over also. There's a bunch of stuff. They do, uh, and a really great little graveyard. So there's a lot of terrain that they cover to get to the banning house that we had not seen previous to this track. And as you could see, when he carries Isabel, his bad arm is good, (laughs) you know, when he carries people around. Yeah. And then, I mean, he's able to go up a trellis with this woman, like, totally passed out. Yeah, he's using his one bad arm to carry her and the other arm to hold himself up. Yep. He goes up into the house through Steve's room. I'm not too sure what he's doing here. I feel, I almost feel like he was just like, I'm going to put this back, being Isabel. Maybe, or he doesn't know where to go. This is the only other place he's been, really. That's true. John confronts the mummy on the staircase. And, of course, anything like this, the mummy's gonna choke someone and throw him down the stairs. (laughs) Yeah, he gets thrown down the stairs and he's holding his torch and he actually lands in the torch like his head is on fire for a moment. Yeah, that was a gnarly fall down the stairs. Um, Before John goes into the house, though, I forgot to mention this, he did tell the mob to pretty much burn down whatever comes out of the house. Mommy tries to get away, stop him with fire. So the mummy goes back into the bedroom and goes to the balcony where the mob sees him and they start throwing their torches at him. John is able to grab Isabel and get out of the house. So at this point, the house is like on fire. Yeah, uh, when John wakes up from downstairs, he grabs his torch and he throws it in the mummy's face. Yes. Which it's a very obvious dummy with a rubber mummy mask on. And then that's when he grabs Isabel while he's freaking out trying to brush away all this fire. Yeah, they do fight a bit. And John is honestly saved by the sheriff who braves the, the flames inside of the house and starts shooting at the mummy. Which affords John and Isabel a moment to escape down the trellis. Yeah, and again, the guns do absolutely nothing. Yep, but it's a distraction, so I guess that's cool. As the whole house is on fire, the sheriff and his companion are able to also shimmy down that trellis, and they set that trellis on fire because the mummy is trying to get down from there also. Yeah, as soon as the mummy gets on there, they set on fire. Now he really has nowhere to go because the... The room is on fire now that he was in. Mm-hmm. The trellis is on fire. So there's just the balcony where everyone's throwing torches. You know, I really That's feel sad for the mummy, actually. I do I, do, I do sympathize with him because he's just being controlled by this priest doing whatever. He didn't want to go after this girl. This is true. And now everyone just hates the mummy. Well. And then when the house is on fire, there's this really great shot that I really like with a crane where the camera starts on the first floor and rises up to the balcony to show the mummy and the fire surrounding him. Mm. And then finally, the mummy succumbs to the flames and collapses. Now we get a newspaper about the house fire and then we get a really quick little article about John and Isabel uh, getting married. Yeah, it's like death, death, murder, married. (laughs) (laughs) And their picture, again, these people are incredibly happy. Now we're back at the train station and John and Isabel are trying to sneak out of town while everyone else is celebrating their marriage. 
But they get ambushed by all of their friends who see them off. And they throw rice at them. They throw rice and confetti. They leave the town. The end. The mummy's tomb. So, the mummy's tomb. How did you feel? It was okay. How did you compare it to the first two mummy movies that you've seen? I think I might like it more than the other ones. So this is my favorite of the Mummy movies, actually. Um, I know that's kind of a weird thing to say because the original is a classic and lots of people really love the Mummy's hand, but I've always been partial to the Mummy's tomb because it includes all that great stuff from the Mummy's hand and has all the Mm. new stuff with Lon Chaney. And, you know, I actually think that the Mummy looks the best here, better than any other Mummy that Universal did. I'm not really counting the Boris Karloff one just because he's on screen for such a minimal amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell whether I would have liked that one better. Oh, yeah. We got like almost no mummy in that first movie. Yeah. But I, I really like the dead eye and yeah. the dead arm and the dead leg. I, I think he just looks great. People complain sometimes that he's too chubby for a mummy, but that's okay. I don't, mm, I don't. It doesn't bug me. I was surprised. I knew that it was Lon Chaney, but he didn't have the typical Lon Chaney stockiness to him or his face. I feel like Lon Chaney has a very broad face, and I would almost say the opposite of that. I was expecting to see more of Lon Chaney in this makeup, and I did not. They hid him very well in the makeup. Well, we will talk a little about that as we go into the fun facts and history of this movie. Are you ready? Fun facts. Or facts. Maybe they're not so fun. Okay. Here we go. The Mummy's Tomb from 1942. Again, this is my my favorite of the Mummy movies. There's not a lot of information on this movie, however, so it's going to be a quick little rundown. Okie dokie. So one fun little fact is the Banning House. That is on the Universal backlot. Uh-huh. It may have been moved or changed when Desperate Housewives came to Colonial Street. Okay. But that house was known as the Shelby House, and it was built in 1927 for a silent film called Uncle Tom's Cabin. And it is also seen in Man-Made Monster with Lon Chaney Jr. and Son of Dracula with Lon Chaney Jr. It's a very famous house that was in tons of movies. Hmm. And it was worked to great effect. Very nice. So let's talk a little bit about the casting crew. One, we have the director. The director of this film is Harold Young. Mm-hmm. He did do a few other monster movies. Such he. He did The Jungle Captive. Uh, He also did a movie called The Frozen Ghost with Lon Chaney Jr., which was in their Inner Sanctum series. And he also directed the live action sequences for Walt Disney's The Three Caballeros. Really? He did. My interest is peaked. (laughs) What do you like better, Three Caballeros or Mummy's Tomb? Three Caballeros. Okay. Yep. The picture is written by Neil P. Varnick, Griffin J., and Henry Schuer. Okay. I said sarcastic remarks for a 61-minute movie, <laughs> where 20 minutes of it existed previously. Yeah, well, <laughs> they just had to quickly get something out, I guess. Okay. Again, Jack Pierce did the makeup. It's a great makeup. Again, I think this is the best The Mummy ever looked, but it was always a, a mask that Lon Chaney Jr. was wearing. Oh, they never actually did a full makeup. I mean, I think there was makeup on top of the mask and they, they put a slit in his mouth so he could kind of get his lips to move a little bit. It doesn't really look like a mask through most of it, especially when you compare it to The Mummy's Curse. That one is pretty obvious that it's a mask. Okay. But this one supposedly is a mask as well. So with our cast, we have Lon Chaney as Karis. And this is the first time Lon Chaney has played The Mummy. He will go on to play The Mummy two more times after this. In The Mummy's Ghost and The Mummy's Curse. Mm -hmm. This was his least favorite horror role. Why? That he ever did. He he just hated it. Because there's nothing to do as The Mummy. You just walk around. True. And he hated the makeup process. Even though he wore a mask, he hated getting wrapped up and dealing with anything else that has to do with any of the makeup process for The Mummy. Uh So here's what Lon Chaney has to say about playing The Mummy. Mm. I didn't like that part at all. 
There wasn't anything you could do with the mummy. You just got into the makeup and bandages and walked around and dragged your leg. I like playing the Wolfman a lot better and making those inner sanctum films. You had a chance to do some acting and had some dialogue. All they ever wanted the mummy to do was put his hand way out in front of him and then grab somebody and start strangling him. Well, I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and then what Lon Chaney had to say of the Boris Karloff version of the mummy, he said, That was a real fine picture. He wasn't a mummy all the time either. He played an old Egyptian too. But when they gave me the role, it was all changed around. I didn't want to do the part, but I was under contract, so I did what they gave me. So you could see, he didn't care for the mummy, but no. it was a job. He had to do it. Yeah. I did want to say also, you could tell in some still shots, but when the mummy has to carry Isabel throughout, mm-hmm. it was, you know, it's hard to carry someone that's, you know, 115 pounds, 120 pounds. Let's I mean, say. just carrying anyone is hard. Baby's already a challenge. Yeah. So they actually built a mummy strap for Lon Chaney, which would go around his neck and then go around the girl mm-hmm. so he would have leverage so it would be easier to carry her sounds like it would hurt <laughs> well to go like i guess it would go around his body not his neck okay because i'm like i don't i can't like deadlift a person with my neck yeah i'll show you a picture later where you could see it i also wanted to mention that there are some rumors that lon cheney actually didn't even play the part that he was only Bill they just used his name and his stuntman Eddie Parker played the mummy which I don't think it's true I see Lon Chaney in the bandages I know you say you didn't I do not Um, but his hand movements look like Lon to me sure his body looks like Lon to me there are a few shots though which I know for sure isn't Lon Chaney because you could tell, and it would be too dangerous, some of the action scenes, and even some of the wide shots of him walking through the woods, I don't think that's Lon either. You could definitely tell in some points when it's not him. Other points, I think it's him, but some people don't. Mm. I mean, Lon Chaney says it was him. Mm. (laughs) And there are pictures of him being made up as the mummy. Unfortunately, there were three movies, so... There's some photos of Jack Pierce making up the mummy where Lon has all the bandages on him, but he doesn't have the mask on yet. Mm-hmm. So you know for sure he was the mummy for that. I think that was for the mummy's ghost, though. So I'm not positive, but I think it was Lon Chaney. Yeah. So after Lon Chaney, we have Dick Ferran as Steve Banning. He returns from the mummy's hand. Then we have John Hubbard playing John Banning. And he was in a movie called One Million B.C. in 1940, along with Lon Chaney Jr. Oh, okay. It's a good caveman dinosaur movie. We have Elise Knox as Isabel Evans. Okay. She was a star in the 40s, and she is the mother of Mark Harmon. Do you know who that is? Quantum Leap? Was he on that? Mm, No, no, no. NCIS. NCIS, yes. But yeah, character actor. People would recognize him. Sure. We have George Zuko back as Andoheb. He was also in The Mummy's Hand, and we'll see him again in The Mummy's Ghost. We talked about him in The Mummy's Hand episode, but he was in a ton of horror movies. He was a big Universal star. Uh, We have Wallace Ford back as Babe. An interesting thing about Babe, in The Mummy's Hand, his name was Babe Jensen. And now in The Mummy's Tomb, his name is Babe Hansen. Yeah, I don't know why they made the change, but they did for some reason. Then we have Turin Bay as Mehmet Bay. He was also in a movie in 1944 called The Climax with Boris Karloff. It was originally written to be a sequel to The Phantom of the Opera, but it ended up being something else. And Turin Bay, I, I believe he has said that playing this role of Mehmet Bay was his favorite role that he ever played. Okay. He, he liked being sinister. Ah. We have Mary Gordon as Jane. She was in a bunch of things and a bunch of horror movies. And we know her best from Bride of Frankenstein. Do you remember who she was in Bride of Frankenstein? No. She was Hans's wife, the, I guess, maybe grandmother of little Maria that gets thrown into the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're going through the wreckage and they're just like... Yeah. And then, yeah. Give me your hand, Hans. <laughs> and it's like, surprise, it's me, Frankenstein. That's right. <laughs> uh, Frank Riker plays Professor Norman. He's the one that discovers the mold and mm. all that. Okay. 
We know him best as Captain Englehorn from King Kong. He was in a ton of monster movies. He will be back in The Mummy's Ghost, and he was also in House of Frankenstein, and Night Monster, and Dr. Cyclops, among a lot of other stuff. Does he play the same role ever again, or is it all different roles? I think he plays the same role in The Mummy's Ghost. Okay. I just need... A little bit of consistency. Yeah. Well, you did with uh, Steve Banning and Babe and all that. Henry Cording plays Vic. He was the the couple that saw the shadow. Yep. I I bring him up because he was in a bunch of Universal monster movies, but his biggest role that we remember him best from was playing Boris Karloff's servant in the 1934 version of The Black Cat, which is an incredible movie. Hmm. And that about does it. That's the mummy's tomb. There's not a lot of information out there on this movie because it is such a low budget B film. I believe it was on a double bill in 1942 with Night Monster. It's an ensemble cast with Bela Lugosi. So it was on a double bill with that in 42. So yeah, the mummy's tomb again. It is my favorite mummy movie. I I just have so much fun with it. There's so much great mummy action. So, as I like to say when we talk about the mummy, let's wrap this up. Do you? Mm-hmm. Inthea. Yes. Where can everyone... Yes. Where can everyone find us? Are you trying to think of a mummy pun? Yeah. Oh. Where can they uncover us? Hmm. Where can all our offendees find us? You can find us at Pods and Monsters on Twitter and Facebook. On Instagram, you can find us at Pods and Monsters Pod. You can find us also at podsandmonsters.com. We should be posting up an updated list soon, if not before this, maybe after. Who knows? Probably in July, we'll end up putting our new list up. Yeah, we'll see where the world is at at that point. Um, if you have any comments or questions, please email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com and if you could please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes we would greatly appreciate it that's right so for Pods and Monsters my name is Robert my name is Inthea and again I really hope you guys are having a safe and sane social distancing whatever it is that we're doing right now I hope you're staying safe and uh, taking a moment to take care of yourself Yes, and thank you so much for listening and enjoying The Mummy's Tomb. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Ooh, I'd better be getting on home. And I'd better be getting to bed.